on the floor. Now my jewelry box froze. Fuck a bowl, fuck a stove. Counted millions in a cold. Bad bitch, booted swole. Got her on bankroll. Can't fold, that's a no. Headshot, case closed. What is up, guys? It's Andy Priscilla, and this is the show for the real and say goodbye to the lies, the fakeness, and delusions of modern society. And welcome to motherfucking reality, guys. Today we have Hugh and AF. We got a very special Q&A today. Uh, got one of my really good buddies sitting down with us, going to join in the conversation. I'll intro him in just a second. This is your first time listening. This is where you get to submit questions, and we give you the answers, okay? Uh, you could submit your questions a couple different ways, and these questions can be about anything. It can be about personal development, entrepreneurship, what's going on in the world, or anything else. Um, first way you could submit your questions is, guys, you can email those questions into askandy at andyforsella.com. The second way is, if you go on YouTube, uh, after eight years of audio exclusivity, uh, we did start posting on YouTube. So if you're on the audio platforms and you haven't checked this out on YouTube, go do that. Uh, click subscribe and go down in the comments on the Q&AF episode and drop your question right in there and then we'll pick some from there to answer as well. Now, if you're new to the show, we have shows within the show. This is Q&AF, like I just said. Other times we have CTI. CTI is cruise the internet. That's where we talk about what's going on in the world. We throw some headlines up on the screen over here, talk about what what they're lying about, what we think we're tell what, what we think they're telling the truth about. It's a lot of speculation, but uh, we try to draw our own conclusions and then talk about how we, the people, can be the solution to these problems going on in the world. Other times we have real talk. Real talk is just five to twenty minutes of me just giving you some real talk. Uh, that is the stuff that I think needs to be said and heard. Uh, and then we have uh, 75 hard verses and 75 hard verses is where someone who has completed 75 hard, uh, which is the first portion of the live hard program comes on and tells us, you know, how it changed their life, what they learned from it, how they grew from it and what it's done for them. And then what it can do for you, for you as well. If you're interested in this live hard program, which is 75 hard as well. Um, you know, a lot of people don't understand that Live Hard is a, a program that is a comprehensive year program that's meant to be repeated over and over and over again every single year. 75 Hard is the boot camp, the initial 75 days of that program. It's the part that went viral, but I always got to talk about it because it's part of a bigger program called Live Hard. If you want to know about the Live Hard program, it's episode 208. It is free. There's no purchase required. You'll get everything you need to know for free at episode 208. So, uh, and then we have this thing called the fee. The fee is very simple. If we bring you good value, please share the show. I don't do much social media. The reason I don't do so much social media is generally because I get shut down immediately for what I have to say. All right. So the algorithm is against us. They don't like me on social. You guys know that. And I ask you guys to share the show because uh, without that, the information doesn't get out. So if you want to follow me on Instagram, you can follow me. I do some stories sometimes, but for the most part, I don't really do social media. So it all the messaging and everything that we've got on this show, if you want it to get out, if you think it's important, if you think it's someone or something that people need to hear, you got to share it. So we have this thing called the fee and that's what we mean when we say pay the fee or don't be a hoe. Share the show. All right. No hoe zone over here. No hoe zone. That's baby. right. Hashtag no hoe zone. <laughs> What's going on? Oh, nothing much, man. We got our special buddy here. Yeah. We do. Mr. Damon West. What's going on, guys? What's up, brother? Man, not a whole lot. Thanks for having me on, yeah. Andy. I really appreciate that. No, bro. it's great to see you, dude. Uh, Damon kind of runs through St. Louis. He's traveling all over the world. He's one of the best speakers in the world. And uh, he's got an amazing story that he shares and he helps a lot of people. And he happens to be here today. So we just say, hey, let's do a show. Yeah, so no, I, mean, I was blown away that it, that happened like this. Yeah. And Emily told me there's a, you know, like, come on in. And first, let me tell you something about, about, about your wife, about Emily Frisella, man. Emily has the best grammar 
of anybody I've ever met on the planet. I'm talking about, I'm serious, DJ, her, her grammar's impeccable. Like yeah. she sends text messages and they're like, well, that's all the punctuations there, to make man. up for my grammar. Oh my God, my, I'm, an, I'm an author. I got best-selling <laughs> yeah. books and I don't, I was like, I don't even write that well, Emily. Like, how do you do that? Like, it's it's incredible, man. She has great grammar though. But yeah. um, yeah, when she told me, like, come on in, I was like, man, that's great. And, and Andy, look, man, we've talked before about this, dude. You, you practice what you preach, man. You're- Yeah, but so do you. Yeah, but you're the victim, dude. We're going to talk today a little bit about my story and, and, and the background it has to do with crime. You're the victim of a violent crime and you've got this guy that's this, this uh, reformed criminal on your show today, man. Yeah. So, I mean, that's... And it ain't me, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Put that out yeah, there. Yeah, you definitely didn't pay your light bill, bitch. But, <laughs> I saw your lights got shut off. <laughs> hey, look, bro, I'm a believer in redemption. You, you know are. what I'm saying? Like, dude, everybody, listen, like real talk, and this is just, this is just real. You know why? You know what I understand about people who have done things and then done their time and got released? People are hypocritical, okay? Sure. Like, the average citizen that's out there has done fucking thousand things that they could have went to jail for. They just never got caught, all right? right? And, then, and then these people do things like, you know, like what happened, what you did, and these, we make mistakes and things happen. And that you want to be around people that have done things in life because they're the ones that have value to offer you. If someone lives a perfectly straight line, what kind of value do they really have? What perspective do they really have? Right? Right. So it takes, it takes someone who's made multiple mistakes to say, Hey, don't, don't make that mistake. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? So like, I, I just a big believer in redemption, dude. I think that, I think that, you know, when people do wrong and they, and they make it right or they do their best and they live a different way. Um, I think that's how the world's supposed to be. Well, dude, and, and that's the thing. I want to applaud yeah. you on that, man. Thanks for having me. I mean, you you live by what you you talk about, and um, me being here today and as an example solely of that, man. Because my backstory, man, it, it's there. You know, I've, I mean, I tell I, people a little bit about what you do, yeah, and, and how you how you got here. So Damon is Damon is an author. He's a seven figure uh, uh, public speaker. He speaks all over the planet. He's very fucking good. If you guys haven't had a chance to hear him speak, it's amazing. Um, he's an entrepreneur. But it, it wasn't always that way. No, no, no. <laughs> so man. let's let's get into the beginning of that and kind of give the the, the listeners a, a reference about your history. Yeah. So we're we're in July of 2023 recording this episode. We'll go back to July of 2020, 2008. Man, 15 years ago. Man, I'm sitting on this little ratty old couch in Dallas, this little rundown apartment, and on this couch next to me is my meth dealer, man. And I'm a full blown meth addict at this point. This guy's name is Tex, my dope dealer. And I'm telling Tex, man. Tex in Texas. Tex in Texas. Uh, yeah, man. He's a dope dealer. How many Texas in Texas? <laughs> are there in Texas? Right. <laughs> there's, there's a lot. There's, yeah. and, and there happens to be a lot in prison. So, <laughs> <laughs> I found that out. But I'm telling Tex that day, man, Tex, you don't want to be here, man. The cops are closing in on me, man. The end is near. And man, just about that time, the flash ram grenade breaks the window. It's tumbling across the living room. It's smoking. I can see it, man. And I, and I try to get out of the living room as fast as I can, but it was too late. Boom. This thing blows up in my face, man. Bright white light, loud noise. Cops are swarming in. And, and, and when, I, when I could see and hear again, this cop's got this barrel of an assault rifle digging in my eye socket, his fingers on the trigger, and he's screaming, don't move, don't move. And I'm like, man, don't worry, don't worry, you know? And, uh, and one of the cops screamed out, we got him. We got the Uptown Burglar. And that was my name. That's what they called me, the Uptown Burglar. Um, the Uptown Burglar Crime Spree was about a dozen other meth addicts and myself, young and old, male and female, black and white, and everything in between, because drugs and addiction don't discriminate, man. That, that gets anybody, right? 
But we indiscriminately and without reservation broke into the homes of dozens and dozens of people in the uptown neighborhood of Dallas and beyond to feed our insatiable meth habits. And when I broke into people's houses, Andy, I didn't just steal property from my victims. I stole something way more valuable from these people. I stole their sense of security. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they ever, can ever get that back. You mm-hmm. know? No one was ever home during these crimes. It's, it's, very, it's very much a violated feeling. Mm-hmm. It, I had... I had to deal with this. You've had, had that. I've had to yeah. deal with it. You had yeah. to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had to do break yeah. in my house for political reasons. Man, it's yeah. it's something I think about. Like I today in this life, I've got a wife, I've got a stepdaughter. I can't imagine somebody doing that in yeah. my home. What I did to other people, by yeah. Me, yeah, you know. And I was so I was a bad guy. Didn't physically hurt anybody. Uh, no one was ever home. Never saw my victims. They never saw me. We didn't use any weapons. About a dozen of us, and I was the ringleader of the whole thing. I was the the mastermind of the crime spree. They take me to Dallas County Jail. They put me in jail. They set my bond at $1.4 million, man. This is higher than any murderer or rapist or any violent criminal in, in jail at the time. Ten months later, I go to this trial. I'm in the trial. Man, the evidence of my guilt is overwhelming. Everybody's there to testify against me that I committed crimes with. I mean, the, they put on like 58 witnesses in six days, man. It was, it was just exhausting, man. The, the evidence was so overwhelming. The jury goes to deliberate for 10 minutes on my punishment. Yeah, man, I don't know how much law and order y'all watch. But if a jury's gone for 10 minutes, it means, it they, good. It means they smoked you, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I came back in the courtroom. I got two paid attorneys. I, I thought I was going to get probation. I've never had a felony conviction. White, middle-class guy. You know, I'm a Division One college quarterback. You know, my job, my, my job history, man, I worked in Congress. I worked on Wall Street, you know. But, man, that judge read the sentence out loud, 65 years in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. Andy, DJ, that's a life sentence in Texas. They stopped calculating. Dude, dude what was that like? It was like being kicked in the stomach, Andy. What was that like? That had to be, I can only imagine that has to be like probably the worst feeling ever. Oh my God. And, and it, one of the, the first things that went through my head was like my mom and my dad were there in the front row, man. My mom and my dad. And then yeah. I was like, oh man, they just heard that, you know? And, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I broke these people. And, um, and as soon as the judge reads the sentence out loud, the sheriff is on me, the bailiff is on me, they're handcuffing yeah, they me. they took you right there. They're getting me out of there, yeah. man. That's, I mean, you got a lifer on your hands. Mm-hmm. This guy could run or anything, but I mean, I didn't. I was just stunned still. Mm-hmm. And I, I lock eyes my mom on the way out. I'm like, I'm screaming across the court. My mom, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They whisked me out of there. They put me in this little side room. It's got a bulletproof glass. They told me to wait. My mom and my dad get escorted in on the other side of the glass. It's about a five-minute conversation. They're going to let my parents have one last visit with me before I go to prison. Mm-hmm. They actually feel sorry for my parents. I just got life. My mom has this conversation with me on May 18, 2009. It's about five minutes, and she's telling me, you know, you can't go to prison and get one of these white hate groups, these Aryan Brotherhood-type gangs. You know, she's telling me, no gangs, no tattoos. She said, you come back as the man we raised or don't come back to us at all. She's like, I mean it, Damon. You owe us this debt now. You owe Texas that other debt. You owe us this debt. So they take me back to my cell. I got two months before the prison bus comes to pick me up, Andy, and I'm asking every guy in county jail, how am I going to survive? What am I going to do? And and every guy I talk to, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, they all say the same thing. You got to get into a gang. They said, you won't survive where you're going without a gang. I'm going to the worst part of prison, Andy. It's, yeah. uh, it's where lifers go. Mm-hmm. It's a maximum security level five prison that I'm about to go into. Level five is the highest security level there is in Texas. But there was this one guy who was so different, man, this old black man named Mr. Jackson, old Muslim guy named Mr. Jackson. And he was a real positive guy. He always had a smile on his face. And every morning he'd come up and he'd talk to me and he'd try to pick me up. And, you know, cause I was down in the dumps and, so one morning he comes up, he's got a cup of coffee in his hands, a smile on his face. He's like, West, I, I've been watching you. I've been watching how you're dealing with these knuckleheads, these dummies. Talk about you got to get to a gang. He said, man, don't listen to these fools. 
But if you want to keep the promise you made to your mom and your dad, then, then I need to tell you what prison is going to be like. So he tells me, he said, the first thing you need to understand about prison, he said, prison is all about race. He said, race runs the entire institution because the inmates want it to be about race. He said, that's how they keep people preoccupied. They fight racial wars in there and you get stuck fighting that. He said, because it's about race, when you walk in the door, the white gangs get the first dibs on you. So the Aryan Brotherhood, the Aryan Circle, the White Knights, the Woods, he starts naming all the white prison gangs. He said, you got to fight all of them if you want to be independent from them. And he said, if you don't give in to their ideology of hate out of fear, then you're going to fight the black gangs. And he said, the white gangs are going to send the black gangs after you, by the way. And the black gangs, the Crips, the Bloods, Gangster Disciples, the Mandingo Warriors, they're going to be happy to tee off on this independent white guy that Is won't that the get- one you'd be in, the Mandingo Warriors? <laughs> yeah, that's the one. yeah, for sure. Is that the- I was just thinking, which mm-hmm. one would I be in? I think I'd be in the Mandingo Warriors too. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think I would get in with the White Gangs. <laughs> I think you'd be an independent, Andy. Yeah. I don't think I don't I think, think you'd, you'd probably fit run in any, all of them. Yeah, I, I, I don't listen, know about that. I listen to your stuff, Andy. You'd be an independent like yeah. me, man. You're you're an independent. But I, listen, I'll tell you this: you're fucking. You're, listen, it'll probably be the most profiting year of that fucking jail. <laughs> yeah, we'll figure out how to make some money. We'll figure out something. It'll be like fucking Shawshank Redemption. Or yeah. Something. That's a man, but but he told me he said you're going to fight the black gangs and the black gangs are going to get a free shot at you, man. So they're going to come after you. But he told me he said if you survive all that and you can survive all that, you'll earn the right to walk alone. He told me the strongest man in prison always walks alone, doesn't join a gang. That's, that's why I told you, Andy, you're a strong dude. You'd probably be independent. You know. He told me the truth about fighting, and it's the truth I've shared with every audience I've ever spoken to. He said you don't have to win all your fights, but you do have to fight all your fights. He said some days you're win. Some days you're going to lose. He said, it doesn't matter. No one cares about your wins and losses. Just fight. Just defend yourself. But man, when he's telling me this, man, back in 2009, I'm looking back at this guy like a deer in headlights, man. All this violence and terror I'm about to walk into. And that's when he's like, Wes, let me break it down for you a different way. He said, I want you to imagine prison as a pot of boiling water. And he said, anything we put into this pot of boiling water will be changed by the heat and the pressure inside this pot. He said, I'm going to put three things in this pot of boiling water and watch how they change. A carrot, an egg, and a coffee bean. So he walks me through it. The carrot goes in really hard in a pot of boiling water, but becomes soft and mushy and weak. You're going to encounter guys like that, he said. Guys that go in there a little really tough and prison breaks them down. The egg in the same pot of boiling water goes in with that hard outer shell, that soft liquid inside, but that soft liquid inside becomes hardened while they're in prison. Like your heart becomes hardened. They become the egg and they're mean and mad and angry. He said, but a coffee bean in the same pot of boiling water changes the pot of boiling water into a pot of coffee. He said, it's the only thing that can change water. He said, it's the change agent, right? He said, so if you want to come back as someone your parents recognize, you have to be like that coffee bean. You got to change the pot of boiling water into a pot of coffee. You got to change the prison around you. And, and, and Andy, I mean, he told me what the first day of prison was going to look like. He said, West, when you get into prison and they let you in the life sentence building, he said, do not run to your bunk like the guys that are scared. He said, man, when you walk in that day room, you put your bags down, you put your back against the wall and just let it happen that first day. And I'm like, man, what happened, dude? What are you talking about, man? <laughs> he, he said, your heart check. Your heart check is the most important fight in prison. He said, you're a new face on the block. They don't know you. They're going to test you immediately when you get in there. The first guy that's going to come up to you is going to be a white guy because you're white. He said, the first guy's not a threat to you. He's an information gatherer. He's a scout. He's going to ask you one relevant question. What gang do you want to be a part of? Get him out of your face as fast as you can and get ready. Get your head on the swivel. He said, because the second guy comes up, he isn't coming to talk to you. He's an enforcer. He's coming to hurt you. He said, when the second guy gets within range, put your fist in his mouth. He said, hit this dude as hard as you can. Don't even want to get a word out. And man, the prison bus is coming to pick me up. And the guy has four words for me out the door, man. Be a coffee bean. Be a coffee bean, man. 
I remember how I felt when he told me the story of the coffee bean, Andy, because like, man, I, I could grasp that. And when I go around all over the world sharing the story of the coffee bean, people understand, man, I do. I have three choices how this pot of boiling water is going to affect me. And we are in a pot of boiling water, Andy. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, make no mistake. So I go to prison. I get there and, and it, it's the hardest thing I've ever been through in my life, man. Prison was a baptism by fire. And, and it, it would just, like he said, man, the first day I walk in, I go to the Mark Stiles unit in Beaumont, Texas. Stiles is one of the toughest prisons in Texas. It's, it's one of the tougher prisons in America. And you know, Andy, in this new life, I can tell you a lot about tough prisons in America because since I got out of prison in 2015, I went back to school. I got a master's in criminal justice and I became a professor at the University of Houston downtown teaching a class called Prisons in America. How about that for mm. flipping the script a little bit, yeah, right? No shit. Yeah, the only professor on earth to teach a prisons class who lived in prison, right? Yeah. So I know, yeah. I know about prisons, man, and styles, <clears throat> hard as it gets. So I'll walk in there, man. They take me to seven building, which is where all the lifers live. Seven building, G-Pod, two section. I'm looking for 45 cell when I walk in. The door closes behind me. I look up, I'm in this giant room, three tiers of cells, man. And all the inmates are yelling and screaming, but as soon as they see this little white guy walk in, the volume drops to zero. And I'm sitting there. I'm about to pee in my pants. And I'm looking for 45 cell, but it's, it's up on the third. So this t- is like an all thing that everybody in there knows. Like they all know to get quiet, to scare the fucking new guy. Well, yeah. I mean, but especially a new guy that comes in and look like me, man. I don't look like anybody else in prison. Yeah, man. I don't look like anybody else in prison. I don't, I don't have any of the same background. That's I mean, you? Yeah, man. That's the day I was arrested. That's July 30th, 2008. Bro, I don't even look like you. No. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? Look at those eyes, man. Yeah, dude. Dead to the you, world. You man. look like you belong in prison. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was a criminal. Yeah. And dude, when you break the social contract, yeah. that's where you're supposed to go. I deserve yeah. to go to prison. Yeah. I mean, I, and I earned by 65 years, brother. And, and I tell people all the time, prison saved me, Andy. It saved my damn life. And that SWAT team, those are my angels, brother. I mean, yeah. I, I look back now, that SWAT hmm. team on July 30, 2008, they didn't just arrest me that day. They rescued me that day. They yeah. pulled me out of a world. I couldn't get myself out of that, Andy. I was going down. I was, I was circling the drain. I was down the drain already. Oh, you'd be dead. Yeah, I'd be dead or it'd be a version of myself not worth living. Nah, bro, you know? you'd be dead. Yeah. Yeah. And so the SWAT We all know team, how those guys end up. Yeah, those SWAT teams, those, those guys, those men and women saved me that day, man. And, and you know, on July 30th, I always, I, I followed Dallas SWAT on Instagram and I always message them, and, but I, I've never received any messages back from them, but I'd love to like do something for them yeah. at some point. So if any of them are listening from Dallas SWAT, man, and when this anniversary comes up on July 30th, I'm- So you want them to bust you again? No, I want to have a, I want to have like a, a meal with them. Where you want like, to recreate? Yeah, I don't want to come through the window this time or the or the knocking the door off the hinges. I want to like have come sit down and, and talk. I'll just to open them. the door, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah just, all right. So, dude, so back to the prison. So, okay, so, so walk in, man. So you walk in. Everybody's fucking screaming and hollering, and, and it's, there's fucking burnt toilet paper, like the mood, like. Oh, dude, it's it's crazy. Yeah. So it's, it's three tiers of cells. It, there's inmates hanging over the, all the railings. And, and when I walk in, the volume drops to zero and everybody's staring at the new guy. I got a mattress under one arm, a couple bags of property. And man, I'm looking for 45 cell because I'm going to make a run for it. I mean, forget what Jackson said, right? I'm running, man. But 45 cells up on the third tier by the shower. The further cell from the door, I'd never make it. So I, I put my mattress down. I put my bags down. I put my back against the wall. And I waited. Here he comes, just like Jackson. How long did it take? Huh? Oh, five minutes. Okay. Little bitty white dude comes up for a All little right. bitty bald-headed white dude. He's tatted up from head to toe. Even his eyelids are tatted up, man. He gets up in my face. He says, hey, white boy. He said, what family are you riding with, white boy? They call gangs families, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, man, get out of my face, little dude. I'm riding with God. Please just leave me alone. I'm riding with yeah. God. Man, he laughed at me. He said, God. He said, God. Man, God isn't here, white boy. He said, we kicked God out of here a long time ago. Mm. But we're here, and we're coming to get you. He shoots up the stairwell on the right side. I mean, I'm ready to pee in my pants, Andy. I don't, I don't have long to wait. 
because coming down the third tier, biggest corn-fed white dude I've ever seen in my <laughs> oh, life. This dude is a he's a giant man. He's a freaking ogre, right, man? Just huge, muscled up, ripped dude. He's coming down the stairwell. I get a good look at him head up, right? Huge muscles ripping out of his shirt, bald head with a swastika all around the top of his skull, man. Man, all I see is a swastika, two bitty eyeballs, and muscles coming at me. My back's against the wall, Andy, but I, I remember what Jackson said, and I could be coached. I played sports all my life. This guy gets within range of me, man. I hit this dude in the mouth, boom, as hard as I can. My feet come off the ground. I hit him so hard, Andy. And in 20 seconds, my first fight in prison was over because that big dude beat me from one side of the day room <laughs> to the other, man. He beat the hell out of me that day, Andy. Yeah. And that, that's what prison fighting looked like for me. I mean, in two months, man. Yeah. It took me two weeks to get through the white games. After that, it was the black games. And sometimes more than one at a time because the rules are off the table for a guy's trying to go independent, man. I remember six weeks in, I got jumped on a Friday, man, by, by a bunch of guys. And man, they were trying to break me. And that was my moment. I was broken, man. I even thought about killing myself. But Monday after that, six weeks into prison. Now, look, man, I've, I've probably gotten in three dozen fights in that first two-month period, and I lost 75% of those fights. I got my butt kicked a lot in prison. But I won because I kept showing up. Because Jackson said, you don't have to win those fights. And guys in prison, they don't care about wins and losses. They just want to see if you're going to get up and defend yourself. Much like what goes on in society, man. Yeah. No one's caring about your wins. You care about your wins and losses. No one else does. But everybody's watching, see, does he or she get back up when the adversity hits? So I just kept getting up. Six weeks into prison, man, this is when it all changed. The only thing I haven't used at this point to earn respect in prison is my athletic ability. God bless me to be a tremendous athlete. But, man, that rec yard where you play sports, it's the most intimidating place I've ever seen. It was the most segregated place I've ever seen. Andy, the rec yard on the life sentence building of that prison, man, every sport was segregated by the color of your skin. I mean, like sand volleyball, whites and Hispanics only. No blacks allowed in the sand. Handball, all the races can play handball, but if you wanted to play partners and double up, your partner has to be the same skin color as you. You can't mix the races. Uh, the weight stack, same thing, just like you see in prison movies. Everybody wants to push out iron in prison, and all the races can lift weights. But if you want someone to spot you or someone to work out with you, your partner, your spotter has to be the same skin color as you. You cannot mix the races. You can't even sit down and eat a meal at the table with people of a different race in the life sentence building. Races everything. So that Monday morning, six weeks into prison, I go out to the rec yard. I pass up all those other sports and I go straight to the basketball court. Who do you think runs the basketball court, Andy? Uh, <laughs> I, I, oh, wait, I think I know, okay? I, I, I bet it's the white guys. Yeah. <laughs> DJ, who is it? I'll tell you, it's the blacks, the brothers. They run it, man. And no white boys are allowed in that basketball court. But you know, I grew up in this little town called Port Arthur, Texas, man. I've been the only white boy in the basketball court all my life. And I played sports all my life. And I know I can take a couple of these guys in a game of basketball. So, man, I get myself in a basketball game that Monday morning, man. I snatch the ball when it, the game is over in one game, and I won't let the ball go until they let me shoot a shot to see if I can play right. So I get in the game, and that first day, that Monday out there, man, it's the most brutal basketball. I mean, it's, it's not five-on-five five basketball. It's nine-on-one. My own teammates don't want me out there, man. And you can punch, kick, scratch, bite, pull hair. But I survived. And I go out there the next day, the next day, the next day. I learned, I learned two things about adversity that week, Andy. I learned that adversity is never as bad as you think it's going to be. And you're always capable of way more than you think you are because how we think matters. And we let overthinking get in the way of overcoming all the time. Mm -hmm. And so, man, after a week of playing basketball, those guys, the black circled up around me. It was a blood from Houston named Jay Blood, man. Big old dude. Jay Blood says, you know what, Wes? You pulled something off out here when you've never seen a white boy pull off before. You took everything we had. You gave it back when you could. You didn't get racial with us. So you don't have to worry about the blacks the rest of the time you're in prison, man. You're good with us. And Damn, dude. That was it, man. That's pretty cool. Yeah, man. The violence is finally over. The, yeah. The threat to my physical safety is gone. But, man, two months into prison, man, I'm becoming an egg. 
And it's it's hard, man. Prison's the hardest environment I've ever been in. That's one of the the strengths of the story that I tell. It's like, you know, I did this in a maximum security prison. There's a lot of a lot of different places you can call a pot of boiling water, but this is the the worst part I've ever worst, worst place I've ever seen. And I and I, I was thinking about what uh, Jackson told me, man. Right before I left prison, left county jail, I asked him. I said, "What am I going to find more of when I get to prison?" And his answer was profound. He was the most intelligent man I've ever met. He said, "You're going to find more eggs, West." And here's why. He said, "The egg is a natural evolution of any human being inside of any difficult situation." He said, "You're going to go in the most difficult situation on the earth." He said, "The truth is, you'll probably become the egg too." And man, he was right, Andy. He was right about everything. But I finally figured out that my thinking was everything inside that place, that it didn't matter where I was, that you can bloom where you're planted. And I started working on myself inside that prison. You know, I started getting up every single day and I, I, I focused on the gratitude, the things I could be happy about in life. And even though I'm inside of a prison, there's still things I could be happy about in life. I've got a family out there that loves me. I had, you know, my family never let go of me, Andy. They came to visit me over 150 times when I was in prison. I lived in a I was in prison in Beaumont, Texas, in Port Arthur, Texas, where I'm from. It's the town right next to it. So my parents came to see me almost every weekend. You know, I met your dad a while ago in the weight room. Your dad reminded me of my dad, man. He just, just had Same me. age. Yeah, same age, man. Yeah. Same from Missouri. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, you know, my parents never gave up on me. And um, I got up every day, man. And it, I told myself that no matter where I am, the person I want to be when I get out of this, I've got to become that person today. Like, I want to be... Uh, someone that can add value back in the world. I want to be useful again, but I've got to figure out how to do that in here. And if I could do that in here, then I could do it anywhere. And after seven years and three months in prison, it was, uh, it was November of 2015. The parole board comes to see me. And um, the lady from parole has got my criminal file in front of her. It's about this thick, you know? And she's flipping through pages of it for about 20 seconds. And, and she slammed the file shut. She pushed it away. She said, Mr. West, I came here today to ask you one question for your parole hearing. And she said, the answer to my question is, is not in the file about the guy I'm reading about who committed all those crimes. She said, we don't see a lot of Damon West come through the system, by the way. She said, you had it all, every advantage, every privilege, and every opportunity. She said, you're the definition of a privileged person. And, and I did. I had all the advantages of everybody in life. Mm -hmm. I came from a great family just like you. And, mm -hmm. and all the opportunities were there in front of me. Sports, mm -hmm. you play college sports. Mm -hmm. you, know, you understand this. And so... um. She said, you didn't just change yourself while you're in this prison. She said, there's no doubt about the change you made to yourself. She said, you changed this entire prison around you. She said, one man was able to change this prison. She said, so my, my question for you today is this. She said, if you could be remembered for being anything in life, anything at all, she said, tell me what that would be in just one word. Go. And man, I breathed out. And I remember I relaxed. That's an easy question for a coffee bean. And I fire her answer back at her. I was like, ma'am, useful. I just want to be useful, you know? And like you were talking about, people that earn a second chance, they're just trying to be useful, man. People that make mistakes, they want to be useful again. Yeah. And I think everybody wants to be useful, right, at the core. And uh, November 16, 2015, I walked out of a Texas prison. Now, now I'm not a free man. You're not, you're not looking at a free man in front of you. I got a little more time left on parole. Mm -hmm. I'm on parole. It's only, uh, what, like yeah. 65 more years? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm on parole till 2073. Yeah. So from the recording of this, I got 50 more years. Yeah. <laughs> and that means every month in, in Beaumont, Texas, I go see Ms. Braggs, my parole yeah. officer. Ms. Braggs, if you're listening, I go, I go pee in a cup for Ms. Braggs. I pay a fine to Ms. Braggs. I, I get a travel permit for Ms. Braggs every time I travel. In fact, I got one for first form today. That's right. <laughs> but, um... I mean, I don't let parole hold me back. I don't let any, any of these things hold me back in life because I think that growth follows belief. And when, once you believe in yourself, other people can believe in you too, you know? Yeah, bro. You, you, the world treats you as you present yourself. Absolutely. And you showed that with your company and 
and how you grew it. And, you know, that means if you believe in yourself, they're going to believe in you too. Right. That's what I mean by that. I got a great story People for you. People think about it's that. the other way around. They think it's the, they think it's the world gives you permission to be something. It's not that at all. Like it's what you decide you are. And then you become that even if you're acting as if you are that and you know you're not that yet. Right. The world reciprocates with that sort of attention. So really, dude, we all tell the world how to treat us and they treat us exactly how we tell them to. Absolutely. And, and, yeah. and if you're if you're willing to put yourself out there, this is one of the things yeah. that you have. You have to put yourself out there. You got to put yourself in a position to fail sometimes, you know, a lot of times, you know, because you great story for you about that. So. January 12th, 2017, I've been out of prison 14 months at this point. And, and I've started sharing my story locally in the Southeast Texas area where I live, you know, wherever I can find someone to let me come in and speak. But I really want to be speaking in front of college athletic program, college football specifically, because I played Division I college quarterback in North mm -hmm. Texas back in the 90s. But man, it's been 20 years since I've taken a snap, Andy. These college coaches don't know Bullshit. me. Bullshit. I saw you take a snap the other day and throw the ball <laughs> 70 fucking yards. Yeah, man. I can still gun it, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'll be 48 pretty soon, man. I can still throw about 65, man. Yeah. So, but, um, I got video proof, too. <laughs> that's it, man. We'll put it up on YouTube. You know what? We'll throw it right here. Yeah, we'll throw, throw that it. shit right here. People yeah. watch this shit. We'll this throw it up on YouTube. Shit. I got to, I got to, yeah. yeah, it's, it's wild. Can we put I would, that in for real? Yeah, I'll put okay, it in for cool. real. I, and I told you guys I'd give them a bunch of B roll for this thing. Yeah. Um, I was with, like, we'll get you a contract. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and Dak Prescott's, you know, today, Dak, Dak Prescott and I were working together on this movie deal to turn my story into a, a Netflix limited, a limited series or a TV show or whatever. Mm -hmm. But uh, Dak had his little football camp that I volunteer at every, every summer. And that's where you saw the video that's of me cool. chunking it, man. Yeah. yeah. Um, but January 12th, 2017, the world's a little bit different. I, um, I've been out of prison for 14 months. I'm what was that like? What was that like going in and then coming out and the world being so different? Man, phones were the first thing that really tripped me out. When I got arrested, phones had buttons, right? right. My mom hands me an iPhone the day I get out. She hands it to me in the backseat of the car. They came to pick me up from prison. And man, I couldn't even get the thing to light up. I don't, where are the buttons, you know? But uh, prison was, the adjustment back in, one of the hardest things to get adjusted to. In prison, the threat of violence is the glue that holds the whole thing together. Because if you step out of line in prison, you could lose your life. You can yeah. certainly get hurt. You can lose an eyeball. I've seen guys lose eyeballs. I mean, there's a lot of repercussions to treating someone offensively in prison. You have to own every action you have in prison. But there's no threat of violence like that in society. And, 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 and for good measure in some way, but I think some ways uh, we've gone too far about pulling that, pulling that back, right? There's not enough threat out there in some ways. Like people can act any way they want. Oh, there's too much disrespect and no repercussions. Way too much disrespect. Yeah. And, and that was one of the things to get adjusted to, man. Yeah. Like I'm walk, I'm out of prison and people are bumping into me. Like go, I'm going out to go shopping at the mall or, or something inside like that. you. Deal, that'd be something to deal with. Brother, you bump into somebody in prison, you got to own it like my bad or yeah. excuse me or let's fight. Yeah. You know, those yeah. are your options to come out of your mouth. <laughs> you might not even get a chance to apologize. Yeah, right. Yeah. If you bump into somebody in prison, you got to own that. And like, for example, like if someone in prison comes up and says, and says, hey man, what size are your shoes? The O size. The, oh, that's it. Oh, yeah. That's it, DJ. Oh, that's yeah, the I'm only answer that's acceptable inside oh, yeah. of prison. The, the your size. size. Yeah. They're your size. Come get them. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, Real shit. <laughs> so January 12th, 2017, man. I'm, uh, you know, I've acclimated back in. I got a job working at a law firm, Andy. I did my own legal work in prison. These lawyers took notice of it. And they even told me when I was in prison, if you ever get out of, you put together a hell of a legal writ for a guy's never been to law school. If you get out of prison, come see us. We got a job for you, man. Second day out of prison, I'm working at one of the most prestigious firms in Southeast Texas, right? So there I am, 14 months into prison, working at the law firm. But I'm just sharing my, my story and the message of the coffee being locally because, you know, no one's really given me a shot yet. 
buddy of mine from Houston calls me up. A guy named Mike Orta. Mike Orta calls me up. He's in Houston, 90 miles away. He said, Damon, tonight is the Bear Bryant Coach of the Year Award. They're going to name the best college football coach in America. He said, the eight best coaches in the country are in this room tonight at the Toyota Center. I've got an extra press pass if you want to go. He works for the media. And I'm like, man, you better want to go. So I drive the 90 miles from Beaumont to Houston after work. I'm driving. I'm practicing my elevator pitch, Andy. What I'm going to tell these guys, you know, when I get in front of them. And he sneaked in the Toyota Center, hands me a press pass, and I hit the ground running. And all the best coaches are there that night, man. USC, Wisconsin, Penn State, they're all there, right? And I get to go up and I meet these coaches and I shake their hands and I'm pressing the flesh and I'm giving them my pitch why they should bring me in to talk to their team. And every coach I meet that night slams the door in my face. I mean, they're all telling me, no, it's a bloodbath, Andy. In one hour, I got seven no's from the eight coaches that are there. That's a no every eight minutes, man. Yeah, but there was eight coaches. I'm in the corner of the Toyota Center. I'm licking my wounds. I'm feeling sorry for myself. And the voice in my head is screaming at me, go home, you imposter. What are you doing in this room, right? That's that voice talking. That's fear. I'm going to tell you something. I quit doing a long time ago listening to myself. Mm -hmm. I never listen. I talk to myself. I talk to myself a lot. Now I'm telling myself, I'm pumping myself back up. You're not leaving, Damon. You're not going anywhere. That last coach is going to tell you no to your face. And the last coach, hardest guy to get to in the room. His team had just beat Alabama two nights before for the national championship. Everybody wants a piece of this man's time. But I'm reminding myself, too, over there in the corner. You survived prison, Damon. You survived something way worse than this. Now, now I'm applying perspective of what a bad day looks like. And we all own this perspective in life. We forget about that sometimes. We think things are bad, you know? A real bad day, that's when a, that's when a marriage fails. That's when a bankruptcy happens. A job is lost, man. A child gets hurt. A child dies. That's a bad day. Most of our days aren't one of those. So I'm like, you know what, Damon? You're not going anywhere to this last coach tells you no. So I stalk Dabo Sweeney around this room. And I look like a nut, man. I'm hiding behind <laughs> fake plants. I'm weaving in and out of tables. I mean, security's looking at me, man. Security's going to come take me away. But I finally pass on Dabo. And I give him a minute of my best stuff, man. I come up for air after talking for about a minute. And Dabo's like, dude, you got a card on you or something? So I give him my card and he takes off because I've, I've occupied this guy more than anybody else tonight. He takes off and over his shoulder, he says, I'll check you out. And he's gone. I'm like, man, that's a no. I went 0 for 8 that night, Andy, but I felt good about the last no because I left it all on the field. And that's where we learn lessons from like when we play sports, man. You give it your best effort. Sometimes you come up short. Sales. You knock on every door. You make every call. Or Jackson says, man, you don't have to win all your fights. Just go fight your fights, man. So I fought all my fights. Went home and slept like a baby. Forgot all about it. Four months later, I get an email from the director of football operations at Clemson University, a guy named Mike Dooley. And Mike Dooley's email said, hey, Damon, Coach Sweeney met you at a ward show in Houston. He'd love to have you come talk to the team. Do you have August 1st open? Dude, I got every first open. <laughs> I, got, I got nothing going on in my life this time. So August 1st, 2017, I go speak to the Clemson Tigers, the defending national champs of college football. And when I get done with my presentation tonight, Dabo Sweeney's in my face. Dabo's a very high-energy guy, too. And Dabo's like, man, that, damn, that's the most amazing story I've ever heard. I've never seen my players respond like that to a speaker's story. He said, have you been to Alabama yet? I'm like, no, Dabo. I've been to Clemson. I hadn't been anywhere, Dabo. He said, we'll see about that. He said, I just texted Nick Saban from the back of the room. The next day, I get a voicemail and a text message from the director of football operations at the University of Alabama. We'll see you in Tuscaloosa, August 21st, 7.30 p.m. There's your window of opportunity. Just like that, Dabo Sweeney starts kicking open the door to college football. He calls every, I mean, Kirby Smart starts calling, Lincoln Riley, all these coaches around America start calling me saying, when are you coming to talk to my team? Dabo said, I got to bring you in. That's badass, dude. Badass, dude. Yeah. The one yes and the no. Of, uh, dude, yeah. all those no's and I got the one yeah. yes. But the real magic wasn't even happening yet, man. It was August of 2018. I just think it's cool that he did that for you. Oh, he's, you and he still saying? does. Dabo speaks a lot to... It, 
to the kind of dude he is. Yeah, he's one of my best friends and my mentors. And Dabo has shown me through his own actions what some of the best attributes are of a servant leader, man. A servant leader is a connector. You know, you connect people to other people, man. You help other people out. You help raise other people up to a different station in life. What you've done with First Form, you've raised a lot of people up. You talk about this. You've got a lot of people that depend on you, man. You raise them up. Yeah. That's what a real leader does. And Dabo showed me through his actions. And I, it was August of 2018. I was at, at the law firm that day. And I was, uh, I remember I was working, my phone, my cell phone rings. And on the other end of my cell phone is this guy named John Gordon. And John Gordon's one of the biggest motivational speakers and authors in America, man. This is the energy bus guy. I follow John on Twitter every day for my inspiration. And I'm like, dude, John, man, I know who you are, man. How do yeah, you he's know? he's a fucking legend. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. how do you know who I am, John? Yeah. He said, Dabo Sweeney. He said, I just got done speaking to Clemson's football team. And, and Dabo told me that Dabo brought me in the office, Damon. And for 30 minutes, he tells me your entire story. And he said, Damon, he told me the story of the coffee bean. He said, I looked it up, man. No one's ever shared the story. I don't even know where you came from. But he said, and he said this in 2018 before the pandemic, Eddie. He said, the world needs the coffee bean message, Damon. Will you write a book with me? We'll call it the coffee bean. Let's share this message with the world. And man, the next summer, the summer of 2019, exactly 10 years after I first heard the story from Mr. Jackson in County Jail, the book, The Coffee Bean, comes out, becomes a bestseller here in America, then it's all over the world. It's, in, it's almost every language in the world now, Chinese, Spanish, Arabic, French, Italian. They all have a version of The Coffee Bean on their bookshelves because The Coffee Bean is one of those rare messages that, that can be translated into any language because everybody understands a carrot, an egg, and a coffee bean and a pot of boiling water, and it's just taken off and exploded. And my speaking career exploded from that because... In my presentation, you hear about a guy that had it all, lost it all, threw it all away, fought his way back, and started applying these rules of being a coffee bean and came out on the other side to, to be a, a success story. And it yeah, shows people that- Massive if, success. Yeah, and if I could do it in there, then you could do it out here. That's, and that's right. the power of it, man. I mean, what, what do you say all the time is, is the ultimate re- rebellion, personal, personal excellence? excellence. Yeah. Personal excellence the ultimate rebellion. And that's, man, I'm on parole the rest of my life, Andy, but I travel the world sharing a message with people that gives them hope. Yeah. And everybody has to have hope. Well, dude, it's an awesome story, brother. And what you're doing is amazing work. Um, where can people find your book? Pretty much anywhere? Anywhere books are sold. People find me speaking at my website, damonwest.org. And uh, the books are on Amazon, anywhere books are sold, stuff the, like that. The, what's the name of the book? Uh, my autobiography is The Change Agent, but the book that everybody knows me by is The Coffee Bean. Yeah. Guys, check it out. Yeah. It's bad How to be a coffee bean. We just... that. We wrote another book about the coffee. John and I are like, man, we got inundated with people when they heard this message for the first time. They're like, do you have more principles of it? Yeah, so, I've been trying to get John on the show. It's just that we haven't been able to align the schedules right. Oh, man. I'd John's, love to have him on, though. He's been, I mean, he's done a lot of really good things for people, man. Dude, John's great, man. Yeah. He is, I mean, dude, the, the Andy, the two biggest people in my life are, are Dabo Swinney and John Gordon. Those yeah. guys have done more to shape my life and help me. Is John how you got connected with Ed? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, John's how I got that connected with Ed. Like, yeah. That's another great story. Like I wanted to be on, I wanted to, sh- to talk to Ed because Ed talks about his dad and AA yeah. and stuff like that. I'm in mm-hmm. AA and um, John made that happen, man. John yeah. made the connection with Ed too. That's John, awesome. John does. I was with John Sunday night in Vegas. There was a big dinner with a bunch of NBA people and he was like, Damon, you need to be at this dinner. And so I landed in Vegas at 2.30 Sunday and left at 12.50 in the morning. I was there for less than 10 hours because John Gordon told me to be there. Yeah. I do everything John says. Yeah. Everything. Well. It seems to be working. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's, dude. But you need to get John on. John yeah, I would, would be love incredible. to. I think we're working on it right now. Yeah. I think Emily's trying to schedule it. So My God, man. He would be incredible. He's, yeah. a, he's a wonderful human We've being. We've had it a couple of times. It's just the dates. My schedule uh, and his schedule just weren't able to align. So 
But yeah. I think we got it coming up. Great guy, but he won't bring you a first form football. No, he won't. That <laughs> <laughs> was badass. So Damon brought me a, a custom collegiate football with our logo on it. Um, it's one of one. It's kind of foreshadowing. Because one day it will actually be that way. Dude. Just saying. Okay. Yeah. I love it. Foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah, it will. That's... You got you to visualize and touch your dreams. You just touched it. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's going to happen. So, all right. So, you know how the show works, right? Absolutely. All right. People have submit questions and we'll, we'll kind of, we'll triple team them here. Yeah. Yeah. We like, 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 like Well, technically it's just double team. Is that what they do over there in the Mandango Kings or whatever? Yeah, Mandigo. Yeah. Mandingo Warriors. Mandingo yeah, Warriors. Mandingo Warriors. Be careful now. Okay. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm not trying to disrespect. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, nah, man. Let's get into it, man. Uh, guys, Damon. Question number one. All right. Uh, Andy, my biggest problem, which is also the number one thing that holds me back in all areas of being successful in life, is a fear of confrontation. Uh, anytime there's a need for me to be assertive, whether it's at work, family, dating, socializing, I always remain passive and let the other person win or have their way. This has kept me uh, from having a management position at work and has also kept me from successfully having a girlfriend. Uh, people think I'm weak. What's your best advice to overcome this issue of avoiding confrontation? What do you think? Um, so a lot of people have a fear of confrontation. I think it's that, pretty normal. I think it's I think pretty most normal. people have it. Yeah, I think most people have it. And look, I mean, I'm going to tell you, be honest, I, I have a fear of uh, confrontation. No one likes it. I don't no, like it either. Yeah, I mean, and, and I mean, like, I, I know that if I'm about, you know, the butterflies we talk about and stuff like that, I get those still if I'm a you know, any kind of confrontation, but, but I do know this, that most pain that you're going to experience is not going to last as long as the pain of not trying and having to look at yourself in the mirror all the time and say, man, I could have, should have, would have, you know, the pain that you're going to feel, even if it's physical pain, if you got had to get into a fist fight or something like that, that goes away a lot quicker than the pain of never doing anything. Yeah. The, the, the feeling that you get from not doing anything. Mm -hmm. And that's that know, regret, that regret, yeah. that regret could have, would have, should have, you know, um, if I walk out the door that night at the Toyota Center without talking to Dabo Sweeney, man, we're not having this conversation today. Dude, was I scared that night? Yeah, you bet I was scared. I felt like an imposter. You know, I think it has to do with asking yourself the right questions in those scenarios. You know, a lot of people ask, what could go wrong if I do this? And that's what they focus on. But like, but what I always focus on in tough situations is what happens if I don't do it? Yeah. Like, what happens if I don't? What happens if you don't talk to Dabo Sweeney? Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. And that's the worst thing ever, right? And so it's, you know, I, I think that when it comes to confrontation, I think it stems from, I think it's a bigger problem than just being afraid to have confrontation because I think the way society is built right now, we don't learn to properly communicate because we're always on our phones or we're working through social media or we have text or internet, Right. Whereas when you and I grew up, you know, we're old enough to have interpersonal relationship skills built in because that's how we did yeah, shit. Had right? no other option. There was no other option. Yeah. There wasn't, there was no way to dumb it down. So like you have to learn at some point in time how to interact with other people and how to not, you know, how to hold your line and stand for yourself. Or you fucking like back in those days, you just get picked on and beat up all the time. Now you might not get picked on or beat up, but you find yourself in a situation where people perceive you as weak. And, 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 and I give this person a lot of credit for asking this question because just to have the courage to even ask this question 
shows that they're aware that they're perceived as a weak person, which is something that very many people, not very many people are capable of even doing. Right. So the fact that you're aware of this and that you understand that this problem is real and it's affecting your life is a huge deal because most people never do that. Um, so we have a society that's built for antisocial behavior. And so that creates a situation where it's even harder to, to do confrontational, you know, conflict or stand for yourself or learn any of these things because that's built upon communication skills, right? So my advice to this person would, would be a couple things. But first thing is you got to get yourself comfortable having conversations with people in real life. And one of the ways I did this, because I w- I'm an introvert, I'm not a naturally, uh, you know, I don't know if you're naturally how you are, but, but I'm not. I, I've had to like develop this skill set of being social. And my natural state is kind of like, I just keep my mouth shut and I do my thing and I really don't like people to talk to me. And I, that's my natural. So I have to work to become social. And I've had to put in a lot of work to do that. And the reason I put in all the work to do that was because I realized that if I wasn't social like this, I realized it was going to fuck up my life, mainly my business life. Because to sell, you have to be social and you have to be able Correct. to talk to people. And so what I did is I made up this little game uh, that I did for years and years and years. And I would actually go into the grocery store and I would, I would make myself talk to three strangers uh, before I could leave. Okay. And not like, Hey, how you doing? Like I would have to have a real conversation. So I would have to look for something of common interest and try to start a conversation, whether it be something like, you know, somebody's looking at baked beans, right? And you're like, oh, you know, you see that they got bushes baked beans, right? And you're like, are those bushes as good as they say they are, right? (laughs) Like you have to develop this, this, it sounds cheesy, but what will happen is you'll start to dissipate this fear of actually interacting with humans. And I did this for for years, every single day, okay? Because it takes time. But what happens is, is you become comfortable and you learn that there's nothing really to fear about other people. And that actually makes you able to have a tough conversation much more easily than it would be if you didn't have those skills at all. So I would start there. I would start and assess your own personal social skills. And if those need to be addressed in a positive way, just play that game I played. Go to the grocery store, talk to three people. When you have three conversations with strangers, fucking go home. And sometimes it takes 10 minutes. Sometimes it takes 30 minutes. But it's a minor energy investment for maximum return because you start to really develop into somebody who can speak to people, which is a, the most valuable skill in the world. I love, I love what you said too, because like, and, and if you do that today, you did this coming up at a different time when mm-hmm. the phones weren't everywhere, mm-hmm. you're going to actually teach the other person you're probably going up to and talking to, you're going to make them get out of their comfort zone and have a conversation with a stranger too. And if you do it with the right perspective, you can actually make their day. Yeah, you can make their day. Right. You can make their day. You told the story. I mean, that's the intent. That's something Ed taught me. So Ed taught me this about speaking a long time ago um, about if I go on stage with the proper intent, I can actually prepare far less because I realize that all I'm trying to do is help these people learn some shit. And which has actually made me a more effective speaker because I can just be myself and then make sure I'm getting the impact. So if you have the intent when you approach these people that you're going to make them feel good when you walk away, like I'm going to make their day, now it becomes easy to approach them. Yeah. And and I think that's great. And and now now we're talking again about servant leadership. We're back to, to, because, you know, this idea of servant leadership, it's passed around in a lot of, and there's people in the motivational world that that beat this to death, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's like, 
to me, that's the ultimate thing is when, when I can try to be a positive force in someone else's life, serve other people, that takes me out of all my problems too, man. Somebody once told me, it was at an AA meeting, said, if we could all throw our problems on a pile and we go up to that pile and we can pick up anybody else's problems. We take you ours. Want, you throw your own problem back over your shoulders. That's and right. I'm out of here, man. Yeah. When you start seeing what other people are dealing with. Mm-hmm. And so this person asked this question, this man or the woman that asked this question, first of all, they practice vulnerability. Vulnerability is a strength, man. A huge strength. Huge strength, man. It gets a bad rap. You can't honestly assess yourself unless you're okay being vulnerable. That's it. And when you're vulnerable, you let your guard down and you draw other people closer to you. So this vulnerability, this person practicing the question, you're already there. Mm -hmm. You already have something that most people can't do, which is to be vulnerable and let your guard down. And, And know that like Ed says this, man. Ed says, on the other side of the adversity is the best version of you. But you have to go through the adversity to meet that best version of you and shake their hand. And so if this person will use the skills that they already currently have and even practice that three person in the grocery store type thing you're talking about, mm-hmm. they're going to find out that once they go through that, they're going to become the best version. So they're going to mm-hmm. meet the best version themselves. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like you, all of you guys listening, they all, everybody struggles with this. Every, this is a question or type of question that we get a lot. People all feel alone. And people all hesitate to talk to other people. And it's the nature of our, our, our society structure right now. So a lot of people are struggling with this exact thing. So if you can get comfortable having interpersonal conversations cold with someone you don't even know, there's going to be far less fear about when you have to have the hard conversations. Correct. Okay. And then the other thing that I think this person needs to do is you get to practice saying no without explaining it. Okay. No is a complete sentence. It's powerful. It very, very, very powerful. Yeah. And when you can learn to just say no and just keep walking and not explain it, at first you're going to feel like a dick. But, but after a while, people are going to start to respect you and they're going to see you differently. And that gives you strength and confidence to have more difficult conversations because the reason that we have a hard time with interpersonal conversations or dealing with a job like the reason this person can't be a manager is because you lack the ability to say no. That's really your whole thing that you're missing. So practice saying no and without apologizing or without trying to explain it. Um, and then if they want an explanation, you can explain it. But like, don't do this gushing shit where you're like unsolicited. No, but I'd really like to do it. Blah, 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 blah. That's weak. Yeah. Okay. What's, what's not weak is no. And then the other person says either, okay, or they say, okay, well, why? And then that gives you a chance to have the confrontational right. conversation. You say, well, because it doesn't make sense because of this and this and this. It's nothing personal. Maybe it is personal, but you know, it gives you a chance to explain yeah. it. And now you have their full attention because you said no. All right. How many yeah. times you see me do that? <laughs> do I explain myself to anybody? No. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> fuck you if you don't get it. But you know what the other thing is? Yeah, it's just fucking no. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're, you're right. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not no, but correct. Yeah, that's yeah. what you say. And, and, and the other thing is this, like, no, you're, you're correct. No one, no one really loves confrontation. But no. you know what? I'll go into the confrontation. I, 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 I go into it. I go into the storm, like the buffalo and the cows thing or whatever that, yeah. that people talk about. Yeah, that's right. I'm going into the storm. Yeah. And, and I know that a lot of people don't like confrontation, so I'll initiate. If I know it's going to have to come at some point, mm-hmm. I'm going to try to make it happen on my terms. Mm-hmm. You know, If mm-hmm. I know that there's going to be a difficult conversation coming up, then it's going to be my home field advantage, and I'm going to you now. Yep. And I'm, I'm going to take you because I know that not everybody likes this. Try to get on the offensive of that. And Dude, I think that's great advice. And I also think you know sometimes 
sometimes there's nothing you can do. The confrontation is coming to you, and it is what the fuck it is, just like this dude coming down in the prison. The, yeah, the like first, it's day, first day. It's coming. <laughs> Here it is. There's nothing I can do. I got to do what I can do. And sometimes the answer is you just got to do what you got to do. That's it. And that's it, man. I love that, man. Yeah. I love that. Great. great dude, that's a massive skill set that you should all work on. And I highly recommend that little hack that I did for all those years for anybody that struggles. Another tip is if you get yourself a job or a place of employment, even if it's a side gig in a retail environment where you get to talk to many people in a day, because dude, this comes down to reps. It's like anything else, bro. You didn't learn how to throw a football. You didn't pick up a football at one time, throw it 65 yards. No. No, it was thousands and hundreds of thousands of throws over the course of your life. And, and to get good with people, guess what? It's hundreds of thousands of, of, of interactions and conversations. And so anytime you could put yourself in a position that's social, all right? For me, it was, I got to work at the bars, okay? And then I also worked retail during the day. So think of the amount of people I talked to just by sheer number all throughout the day, all the time. Now, that many reps took someone who's completely introverted and made them into a pretty effective, uh, you know, extrovert when I decide I need to be, yeah, when the right? Flip it's a skill. Yeah. And um, it, no matter how shy you are, no matter how introvert, introverted you think you are, you can become one of these amazing communicators by practice. It's and, a skill. I mean, Andy, can I say something about yeah. that? Right, man, you're, you're hitting on something. Get in the reps, man. That's so important. Get in your reps mm -hmm. because you can't get good at something unless you practice at it. Yeah. And if but, you're not good at something, there's only one way to get better. Yeah. It's reps. Reps. When, yeah. I, when I got out of prison, man, I told you I was trying to share my, my, my message in the area where I lived, man. Very few people let me, you can't just walk out of a prison, go knock on the door of a school and say, I want to talk to your kids. I just got out of the joint, you know, <laughs> they'll throw you in the wood chipper, right? <laughs> so, uh, so, but what I could do, and I actually found a, a, a local law enforcement officer and a local judge that would escort me in to take me in at first, because that's the only way I could get into a school. So there are very few places that I could go speak at the first two years. Whenever I paroled out of prison, I lived with my parents for the first two years. I mean, like, you know, I'm 40 years old. I live with my parents. I make minimum wage. You know, I live in my parents' spare bedroom. You know, if I had a Tinder profile, it would have sucked, right? Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> But in my parents' spare I'm in bedroom, transition right now. <laughs> <laughs> in my parents' spare bedroom, there was a mirror, and it just happened to be in there. That's just a piece of furniture that was in there. But I got in front of that mirror every single day for two years, Andy, and I practiced this presentation, the same presentation that I'm out there doing around the world right now. Yeah, that started in my parents' spare bedroom. Every day that I didn't have a place to speak, I spoke in front of that mirror. And if I had a place to speak out there, I wouldn't get my rep in in front of the mirror. But I got my reps in. And almost exactly two years when I walked out of prison, when I spoke to Dabo's team for the first time, yeah. and guess what I had? A polished presentation, no hiccups, no ums, none of that stuff. It was on fire because I got my reps in in front of that mirror every single day for two years. Man. It's, dude, it's the solution to most things. Yeah. Most matters. things that you suck at can be overcome by just reps. Real talk. Reps. It's just people just don't want, most people just don't want to be seen doing that shit when they suck at it. Absolutely. Right. Like you guys weren't following me on social media because it didn't exist. Thank God. When I was this person. Right. Like by the time social media came around for me, I could talk pretty good. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but like I wasn't always that way. It wasn't always that way for me. Yeah. And, and like so I'm speaking to these shy people out there like you guys have all that potential to become exactly what it is you want, wish you had. You've just got to be willing to be kind of rough around the edges at it for a while. Yeah. Correct. It'll work, dude. That's, you hit the nerve with that, that one, man. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, it's great. Guys, Andy, Damon, question number two. Uh, Andy, how do you mentally power through difficult challenges in life? 
Uh, my wife has been out of work for about a year and a half, and we've had home repairs, rental property repairs, car breakdowns left and right over the last few months. I'm an individual that is addicted to progress. So when these things keep coming up and my progress is stunted, it takes a heavy toll on me mentally. So how do you mentally power through difficult challenges in life? Man, dude, that's, that's, a, that's a tough question because we all know the saying. Like, it wouldn't be a saying if it wasn't true. When it rains, it pours. pours right? 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 You can't and fix a leaky roof in the rain. Yeah. So, so we're, we're, we all deal with this because success and hardship come in waves. Um, when you're winning, this is just my experience, but if, like I said, it wouldn't be a saying if it wasn't true. When you're winning, the wins come easy, dude, and they keep coming and they keep coming and they keep coming. And that's why I stress you guys uh, so hard about keeping the momentum going as best you can because we want to try to extend the winning streaks as long as we can, right? And the best way that we can do that is by controlling our momentum. And that's why I'm, I'm big on that. But no matter how good you are at controlling momentum, guess what? It's still going to fucking rain, okay? And when it rains, it's especially if you've been someone who is driven by progress like this person is, it's going to feel, even a sprinkle is going to feel like a fucking hurricane. hurricane. Like you hate it. Because I can relate to this person, dude. I am total offense all the time. And inevitably, every three or four years, there's a period of time where shit gets hard. And, you know, I've personally think that when those times come, when shit is extremely hard, what I personally do and what I believe in is I use that time to get, as the, get myself in the best possible place that I can. This is where I lean into things like the Live Hard program and 75 Hard. This is where I say, okay, I understand that shit's fucked up. I understand it's not where I want to be, whether it's my fault or whether it's just the natural waves of up and down. But I am going to do every single thing that I could possibly do to move through this, meaning I take total control of my life. All the controllables that are available to me, I control them the best that I possibly can. I control what I eat. I control the energy I'm around. I control how I move. I control the books I read. I control every single aspect of my life that is possible for me to control. I do the best I possibly can because what you're doing there is you're starting to crawl again, okay? You're starting to move again. And when you see your physical start to change and you see you feel good because you've been putting good things in your brain and you've been eliminating the negativity, you start to recognize that momentum starting to be built again, okay? And sometimes it takes some time to get it going, but eventually it'll catch again and you'll be on the winning streak again. And so where most people fuck this up is that when shit gets bad, they throw, they do the opposite. They're like, fuck it. I'm already fucked. I might as well just go out and drink. I'm already, it's shit's already bad. I'm on Dude, you hear this shit. When do people say they need a drink? After some sh fucked up shit happens. That, dude, <laughs> it's a societal norm. Like shit goes bad. Or, fuck, I need a fucking drink. Motherfucker, the last thing you need is a drink in that scenario. Correct. That's the absolute last thing. Alcohol will always make a bad situation worse. Always. Okay. You ask fucking most of the dudes in prison, you say, how'd you get here? It's going to have to do with alcohol in some way, shape, or form. Alcohol or drugs, 80%, yes. 80% of people. So, you know, ask police officers, how many of the calls deal with drunk people? Fucking most of them. Okay, so alcohol is not a good idea when shit is bad. And most people will just throw up their hands 
and not take any control because shit is bad. All right. It's like it's like the fat guy like I used to be. All right. Who's eating. Uh, you know, I'm 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 fucking 349 pounds and I'm like, fuck, I'm 349 pounds. What's 350? It doesn't fucking matter. And so I would just gorge myself. You know right. what I'm saying? Correct. Like we get in these self-destructive cycles because that's what society typically does. But the appropriate action when things are hard is for you to control everything that you can control to give you some sort of sense that you can guide the ship where you need it to go. Okay. And that's, you asked how I do it. I'm not saying that's the only way to do it, but that's how I do it. Okay. I dedicate myself, like, dude, this last three years or the last fucking 18 months feels like fucking three years. I fucking blew my shoulder out. I couldn't train. I was in the best shape of my life. I'm 42 years old when it happens. I fucking had to watch my entire physique fucking fade away because I can't do shit. I can't even wipe my own ass. All right. Can't do nothing. That destroyed me mentally. Like fucking watching all that work I put in from when I was 350 pounds to becoming like legit fucking yoked. I had to watch it go away after I just put in the six years of fucking work it took. Bro, you talk about mental destruction. It was mental destruction. Then on top of it, I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to fucking get off uh, antidepressants too. You know what I'm saying? Well, fucking shit's already fucked up. Let's make it harder. Fuck it. I'm getting rid of that. So now I'm in this place where I'm like, you know what? This is going to be on me, dude. And you know what I did the whole fucking time? I did the same shit I tell you guys to do. I did the Live Hard program. I did fucking 75 hard and phase one, two, and three. And, and that's what's pulled me fucking through. So you control, I mean, you don't have to do that program, but I would recommend it. It's extremely popular for a reason. It's not because it doesn't work. Uh, Despite what the Nougat Post says. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I turned you into a domestic terrorist, but, right, right, you know, right. hey, uh, the point is, is that do the opposite of what most people do. Most people throw their arms up. They say, fuck it. I can't do anything. Everything is fucked. And you say, no, I'm going to pull myself out of this. And I'm going to do this because I'm going to control the shit that I can control. And what you'll find is that when you start controlling the things that you control, your brain will actually start operating instead of this panic state. Like, oh, fuck, what's happening? Because a lot of this shit we attract into our lives. A lot of these negative things happen in waves because we are constantly in a negative mindset. And so when you're in a negative mindset and you're thinking how fucked everything is, things continue to get more fucked because that's mm -hmm. all you can see. And that's how the universe Correct. works. The universe works in an energy currency. You put shit out, it brings it back to you. So how do you get your mindset away from thinking everything is fucked up and back into the, the offense mode that this person's, that, that only way to do it that I know is to take control of the shit you can't control. And that includes your food, your water, your energy, your information your activity and these things are these these things that we're talking about it's it's five or six things that you're in absolute control of they dictate most of your reality oh yeah no you're absolutely andy to that point like i mean you like i'm like raising my hand over yeah, here yeah, like yeah. man you're hitting all the <laughs> you're hitting all the right notes man yeah. you control i tell people you control four things this yeah. is what I, this is what and this is what got me through prison so hopefully this will help this question this guy asking this question you control what you think you control what you say. You control what you feel. And what I mean is, what do you do with your feelings? Do you yeah. talk about what's going on? Are you a vulnerable person? Do you practice empathy? And the last thing you control is what you do. Those are your actions. And that covers your eating, all your other mm -hmm. stuff. You know, mm -hmm. what you think, what you say, what you feel, and what you do. That's it, man. That's the whole ball game right there. And everything else is not one of those four things. You don't control it. You have no control over it. But if you can get yourself to a point where you allow 
the world to happen around you in the areas you don't control and focus on those four things, now you're focusing your Bro, time. Your you're, most precious resource, man. Time's the thing you're spot all on. of us, man. If you can focus your time on the areas you can actually impact, your life changes. How much better does your internal dialogue get when you start to see your your, your when you're accomplishing things, when yeah. your body's changing, when you know you've done the right thing? Absolutely. How much better does your self talk actually Because you get? made those right choices, Correct. like your food so choices. It, it you know? starts to create the momentum. And dude, I agree with you 100%. What you say to yourself is of utmost importance. And a lot of people, this person, in this, in this situation, I'm going to bet that this person who asked this question is saying, what the fuck did I do to deserve all this? Or when is this going to get better? Well, there's, there, there's also a saying that besides when it rains, it pours. Do you know what it is? It's always darkest before what? Dawn. 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 Yeah. Okay. So there's always an end to the hard times. That's reality. And it happens for everybody. So you're, let me tell you something that changed me. Okay. I deal with a lot of stress, dude. Like I'd probably deal with more I, I, than that. It's not even comparable to the average person, but even amongst entrepreneurs, like I'm out of all the entrepreneurs I know, I'm running more shit than fucking any of them. Okay. I have literal more companies dealing with more points of contact, having more shit run. And it's fucking overwhelming. Yeah, I don't know how you do it. No, it's hard. And when I wake up in the morning, I do it because I'm living what, what I'm telling this person to live. Right. I have to live that way all the time. Otherwise, I can't do it. So when you, one thing that changed for me, dude, and, and, and dude, I still fuck this up, but it fucking makes the biggest difference in my day, is that when I wake up, my, what, what do I think about first? What's my first thing I say to myself? That matters so much to how my day goes. And if I forget to do what I'm about to tell you, my day is usually fucked. But if I do it, I usually kick ass that day. And dude, I wake up in the morning and you know what I think? Attack, attack, attack. It plays in my head like just like that. Attack, attack, attack. That means get up, be aggressive, go do it, put get on work. offense. Go put in the work. That's right. And dude, when I do that, when I do that properly, I feel amazing. When I don't do that, because of the outside uh, you know, influences and, and responsibilities and distractions and texts and all this shit that I have coming at me all the time, if I don't have that mindset of attack, it's automatically react. Right. And so now I'm on defense. So now I'm overwhelmed. Now I'm like, and you see this because you're with me all the time. You know when I fuck yep. this up. Yep. Because what happens is, is I get so overwhelmed that I'm like, you know what? Fuck all y'all. I'm going home. Fuck you. And that's what happened. Is that not what I do? This is, this I go the fuck home. And I say, fuck you. I ain't doing your shit. And they get pissed at me. And it really, it fucks me because then I got to do it tomorrow. And yeah, the next you got to do it. Yeah. But, <laughs> but they going to get done today. Yeah, no. <laughs> but the point is, is I, I get so overwhelmed sure. with the reaction. And you can't win reacting, dude. You can no. only win attacking. And so like that thing, try that. Wake up in the morning and fucking say to yourself, attack, attack, attack. And get the fuck up and go. Yeah, and I would also add to that. That's 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 incredibly important, man. What the, because you're going to talk to yourself more than anybody else talks to you. Yeah, I mean, you you talk to yourself more than anybody talks to you. So what you say matters to yourself. Mm -hmm. So say the right stuff, but make little promises to yourself and keep those promises, man. That's how yeah. like you, you build confidence doing that, yeah. that stuff. Um, and that's uh, on a subconscious level too. People don't think about that. Like that, we hear a lot about this shit, right? Especially because seventy five hearts gone mega viral, and people start to understand that. Discipline is earned. It's not something that's a trait. And now we have all these people talking about discipline that think they know. Really, it's because the fucking program is mega viral. And what they keep talking about is keeping promises to themselves. 
But what they don't really hit on is why that actually works. And the reason it works is because you have a subconscious being inside of you that knows if you're full of shit or not. Right. Okay. And if you make all these fucking promises to yourself, uh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. And you don't do those things. Your inner self thinks you're a bitch. Okay. And then you cannot respect yourself. That's the voice you, can, you talk about all the time. Yeah, it's the bitch voice. That's right. You cannot respect yourself. You cannot have confidence. You cannot have self-esteem because your deepest inner subconscious being knows that you're full of shit. So you cannot fool yourself. So you have to live in alignment with exactly who you tell yourself you're going to be. Meaning when you make these little promises to yourself, it's so much more important than, that you keep them than you truly really understand. Sure. Because it's going to dictate how you feel about yourself. Really, 100% of the way. Like, I think this is everything. I think it's spiritually, mentally, physically. These are the areas to work out in every yeah. day. And, and, and like that stuff that you're talking about, Andy, that, that's, a, that's on a spiritual level, man. Everybody yeah. can tap into that, man. And, yeah. when you, and they when, do from time to time. Yeah. They you, think it's magical. It's not magical. You no, can do it. You're, you, can, you can tap into that, man. Yeah. And, that, and that's the thing that we have to realize in life, man. There, there's not a lot we can control, but the things we control, the promises we make to ourselves, we keep those things. And, and, and look, this is something I tell people all the time. The hardest prison to do time in is the prison in your mind. I meet more people out here in the free world, Andy, that are locked up than I ever did when I served time in a real maximum security level five prison. Yeah. More people are imprisoned by their thoughts and by their things than by steel bars and barbed wire and concrete combined. Yeah. You can't become a prison in your mind. It's the hardest prison to walk out of. But the, the, the good thing is, is that you have the keys. Yep. You have the keys to free yourself at any time. But it, it's it's what you're talking, everything you've said is spot on and it's incremental small changes that you make, these mm. small problems you keep to yourself and the things you can control, work on those. Yep, love it, man. Well, I want to say something on that last question. Sorry to interrupt you. That's going, I want you to understand something. You are dragging yourself out of a fucking hole, okay? It's not going to happen in one week. This is like an inch by inch by inch crawl. And eventually that crawl becomes a walk. And eventually that walk becomes a jog. And eventually that jog becomes a sprint. And that's where you're trying to get to. So understand that in the beginning, you're crawling. And not only are you crawling, you're dragging all this shit with you too. Okay, so it takes time to build this. Just be ready for it. That's all I want to say. I love that, man. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, Andy, Damon, our third and final question. Question number three. Uh, Andy, my wife and I have been running our business for nine years now. Uh, the last couple of years, we've made lots of money, uh, then also lost a lot made a ton back and then lost some again. We invest a lot of money back into our businesses. So by all accounts, it makes sense why the money fluctuates. Um, we are a long game type of people. So we genuinely believe it will pay off. Uh, and this is just part of the process. Uh, we've both come to peace about this being a 10 to 15 year game uh, until we really start seeing our fruits of our labor. Can you give us some insight into why the money fluctuate like it does in business and some pointers on how we should be thinking during this phase of our business? Well, first of all, it's not a 10 to 15 year game. It's a life game. Okay. So you need to be thinking longer term, not just 10 years, 15 years. All right. As far as fruit. I'm going to tell you yeah. how this is going to work. Here's how it's going to work. You're, you're you now and you're making X and you're going to make X plus. All right. And then you're going to, and you're telling yourself right now, when I make X plus, I'm fucking out. Okay. But here's what's going to happen. You're going to figure out how to make X plus, And then you're going to say, well, fuck, that wasn't that hard. I want to make X plus plus. 
And then you're going to make X plus plus. And then you're going to make, then you're going to say, you know what? We did that. We could do X plus plus plus, right? And you're going to start continuing to move down the road. This is what, this is what everybody does because when your skill set expands through the journey of owning a business or running a business entrepreneurship, every lesson you learn gives you a new skill. All right. So where you are now compared to where you're going to be 10 years from now, where you think you're going to be done, you're not going to be done because your skill set has now expanded so broad that you see infinite possibilities for your progress. And so when you have the ability to do amazing things and you know you do because you have the skills, how many people have the discipline just to quit? They don't. Okay. So it's always going to be this way. It's a lifelong journey. That's the first thing to understand. The second thing to understand is that you are playing a volatile game. It's a hard game to play. And the goal of the game is not to accumulate money. It's actually just to survive, all right, so that you can have a company that pays your bills and takes care of you and provides a lifestyle uh, for the rest of your life. And a lot of people think of it like, I want to get this big lump of some money and then I'll be done. But that's not how the fuck it's going to work because guess what? You'll spend it, you'll lose it, you'll make bad investments and you won't have shit and you'll be sitting on a fucking couch in your mom's basement. That's what will happen. So you have to think about this long term. You have to understand that you're going to be a different person five years from now than you are today. Ten years from now, you're going to be double that person. All right. And you have to understand that the environment of business is always fluid and it's always changing. And there are going to be things that like we like to think as entrepreneurs, you know, we, what I call entrepreneur math, right? You break out an Excel <laughs> spreadsheet. You say, I want to make $10 million. That means I got to sell a thousand widgets per hour and they got to be priced this. And all, and, and all I got to do is these things. And you think of it like this, it's this smooth line up. Like all I got to do is this. But the reality is there's going to be things that fucking happen. Okay. In my business, like when I started my first retail store in 1999 and two weeks later, we got our store broken into and vandalized. I wasn't counting on that. That fucking sucked. By the way, it yeah. took us six weeks to get the insurance payment. So like in that meantime, I didn't have any product to fucking sell. Yeah, that wasn't in the Excel sheet. That wasn't there. Okay. <laughs> and the only reason that I was able to survive that period of time is because we paid the landlord up front for the full year of rent. Otherwise, we would have had to close the business. So what I thought was an injustice and in a... In a, in a us getting treated poorly because we were only 19 years old actually kept us in business and we survived that. But then there was these other things. I got stabbed in the face. Fucking, um, you know, we have people quit. Like, dude, you're going to go through all the, the market's going to change. The products uh, are going to change. There's going to be new laws. There's going to be regulations. There's going to be all kinds of things, bro. You're going to get married. You're going to get divorced. You're going to have kids. Your fucking kids are going to do stupid shit. Like, dude, life is not a predictable game. Like, so to think that business is going to be predictable when it depends on actual other human beings to buy your shit is not even reality because all of those people are dealing with their own shit. And guess what? They don't need to buy your shit sometimes when their shit's fucked up. So even if you have the most loyal base of customers ever and you've got a million loyal customers, fucking half of them are going through so much shit, they're not thinking about your business. They're not buying your shit right now. Okay, so like there's all these moving parts and we have to, we have to change our expectation around entrepreneurship. And once you change the expectation, the reality becomes easier to deal with because what the expectation is, is I'm going to get a product. I'm going to run some ads. People are going to buy it. I'm going to be rich. I'm going to be drinking a beer in the Corona commercial on the beach of Mexico forever. All right. That's the, yeah, that's the expectation. I've arrived. Yeah, That's not how it works, guys. No, like it is up and down. It's left and right. It's holy fuck. It's, this is awesome. And that, 
can go by the hour. Like it can go by the hour for decades, okay? So change the expectation. Expect that this is a, a, a volatile career path in a volatile world that changes at the speed of light. All of that's going to affect sales. That's going to make, sometimes you're going to have sales go, there's going to be things like brand cycle. Like most brand cycles where 20, 40 years ago, brands could last with the same brand for decades. They can't do that anymore because the, 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 the news cycle and the attention cycle is so fast that you have to reinvent yourself. You have to reinvent your branding. You have to reinvent your product. You have to improve. There's so many fucking uh, moving pieces to this to expect that it's going to be a diagonal line towards the place you want to go, but just straight up is, is, is an absurd expectation. Let, let me ask you this about this, though, because like I'm, well, this guy asked you a question. I'm learning from you right yeah. now because you're, you're further down the road than me. You're where I'm, I'm working to get that road. What I've learned from guys like you, guys like Ed, is like um, keep the main thing the main thing in an entrepreneur journey. Like my main thing for my, me is uh, the big thing is I'm a speaker that brings in you know millions of dollars speaking, right? Yeah. But I've been able to keep that the main thing, focus most of my attention there. But I've I've divested into different businesses that I've started, like you're doing. You're talking about you have all these other. That's why I was like, man, I don't know how you do it. I've, you told me how many you got going on. Yeah. We started a business for my wife. My wife has her own demolition and construction company. Her and my mother-in-law, it's a female-owned demolition company called, it's called Divas of Destruction. So, <laughs> but, but their, you know, their struggle in the first couple of years of this is real, man. And you're watching a, a business struggle and we put resource to that, but she has to keep that focus on her, her thing, the main thing. And it's year two of this thing, man. So they're not making any money right now. No one's bringing home a salary or anything like that, but it's the same thing. It seems to me that you've, if you keep the main thing, the main thing, then you've got a chance, you know, but when do you know, Andy, when to break off and to try something else and focus a little bit of your attention into another business? When do you know that? Well, I, I think that's, there's nuance there. There's no set number to where it's like people want a number. Like, Is it a feeling you get? How much you're, am I making? Yeah. How, I think the correct assessment for when you're, cause like, dude, a lot of these younger entrepreneurs do get fucked up because of the fucking meme that goes around. We all know what the meme says. The average millionaire has seven streams of income. Oh my God. And fucking that meme gets shared by all these fucking idiots who don't even own shit. Okay. That might be true for someone who's been in business for 25 years. That should not be the case when you're starting. What you're saying is absolutely true. If you're pulling a wagon and you only got one fucking horse, are you going to tie up all the ponies and ride the pony? No, you're going to tie it to the big motherfucking horse that's going right. to pull the load. That's your main gig, okay? The, your, your goal is to get so good at this one thing that it generates excess cash flow that is way above and beyond what you ever wanted for yourself. And then you take that and you reinvest it in projects as they appear. And most of the projects that are going to come about are usually going to have to do with slight variations of what you already do, where there's a base level of product knowledge. And then there's opportunities that come along that allow you to vertically integrate, sort of. Okay? So you're not just starting from scratch every time. Correct. Like for me, yeah. it's consumer packaged goods. I know how to sell CPG brands. I know how to sell CPG products. So I'm in fucking supplements, right? Now, I have my supplement business is completely vertically integrated, meaning we own things all the way from the farms all the way down to the fucking retail stores the shit's sold in, all mm -hmm. right? Then we go to, to cannabis. Then we go to tequila. Then we go to this because all of the principles of how to operate those things are the fucking same. And some of your customer base taps for into sure. all of those. Yeah. For sure. But, but dude, like this, you have to say, okay, this is my main thing. 
This is what generates the main amount of revenue. I'm going to get so good at this that I can then branch off into these things that I have a really like a, a pretty good understanding about, but it's not the exact thing I did. Correct. Okay. After you kind of vertically integrated and, and squeezed all the juice out of your main thing. Right. And I think most people don't put enough into their main thing to ever get it to that point. Like for us, we had our retail supplement stores, right? That's how we started. Most people think first form was the first company. First form was actually the second company that we started. We had retail stores first because that was the lowest barrier to entry because it took the least amount of money. All right. So we ran that play for 10, eight years, nine years before we ever came into a, a situation with first form, right? Then we used our experience for what we learned in the stores from a up close view at how brands operated. And cause we didn't know how to do it. Right. Correct. We didn't have, we didn't have what they have now. Like you didn't have motherfuckers like me teaching you shit on the internet or people that you could learn from. Like that, that's not what you what learned happened. from. You learned from mistakes and trial and error. Guessed. <laughs> yeah. And you observed and then you guessed. Yeah. And so, so we, we kind of got a good view of what, what product brands that sold to us at our retail store, how they operated, right? And we were able to kind of nitpick them apart because we were, you know, we were coaching from the sidelines, right? So we would say over the years, we were like, well, they should do this, they should do that, they should do this because we had an upfront understanding of the customer base. So we took what we knew and what we became decent at and then we slightly vary, uh, varied it over here. Then we became really good at that. Then that became the main thing, all right? And then we started taking the money from that and doing things that were sort of similar. Well, no, I actually forgot a step. In that first form thing, then we started working towards owning some of our manufacturing and owning the distribution process all the way from top to bottom. Okay, that's called vertical integration. Right. That's that's a big value driver if you're building a brand that will eventually uh, potentially attract investors or strategic partnerships or and potentially be sold. You have to have the integration because the more that you own, the more that you're worth. And but but basically, you take what you know, you go over here when it's appropriate. Okay. And a lot of people think it's appropriate because they, they think that they got to have seven things to be credible on the internet, bro. You know what I think when I see that people say that shit and they're not like, I don't know them because like in reality, like I know pretty much all the big entrepreneurs or I know someone that knows them Yeah, and they're just on the internet and they're fucking 25 years old. And they say, Oh, I got this. I got that. I got this. I got that. You know what I think? You're full of fucking shit. Correct. Okay. And you will never fucking get a meeting with me. You will never get on my show. You will never get fucking close to me because I know you're fucking full of shit. All right. Because you don't know all of those things. And a lot of kids are trying to fast track their way into that, into that place when the sales don't really justify it at all. And I would argue heavily and strongly to never do that because eventually that will bankrupt you because what you're doing is you're spreading all of this shit. It's the it's the jack of all trades, master of none. I know. I yeah, know. That's man. You what see it, it all the time yes. on the internet so, too, man. So crazy. To, oh, yeah. And it's because this fucking toxic entrepreneur culture that doesn't really know what the fuck they're talking about, who've never really built anything, giving these kids bad advice, bro. They're telling them, oh, you know, like I said, millionaires have seven streams of income. Like, fuck, dude. Like you're telling these kids to go out and start just fucking a bunch of shit because that's what they do. They take right. the shit literally. And- then they don't have any capital to fucking put into any of them. They never get good at any of them. They waste 10 years of their life. And then they got to close all the shit and start to fuck over. Right. And th this is what happens. And then, and you know, and it's just like diet culture. You know, when they used to sell people, um, you know, eight minute abs, like you can get in shape in one week and shit. Here's what happened. People would fucking buy these products and they would never get results. 
And you know what they ultimately did? They blamed themselves. They said, there's something wrong with me. Why does this work for everybody else? It doesn't work for everybody else. They're lying. So then they start to question themselves. And this happens in the, then they give up. And then they just say, I'm fucking fat. And it is what it is. And they quit. This happens in entrepreneurial space. When you think about how damaging that is to someone's life, who you, you, you tell them the wrong information, they go out and do it to try to present to be a certain way on the internet. And then they get to be 30 and they have to close all the shit. They're embarrassed. They ruin their reputation. They've lost all their money. And they feel like a failure. Bro, and then they fucking believe that there's something wrong with them. No, right. you're listening to the wrong people. Yep. And Absolutely. so, so like, dude, become what you, I'm, I'm all of this to say, yes, you <laughs> yeah. are correct. I love it. Man. Focus on your main thing. Become fucking great at it. When it starts making so much money that you can go buy Lamborghinis and Porsches and shit, and it doesn't fucking matter. You don't give a fuck. It's like buying jeans. Then fucking do your next thing. Right. Love it. Yeah. Guys, Andy Damon, man, that's been three. Yeah, bro. That this was, was incredible. awesome. This is yeah, awesome, man. This, this was, was cool. I'm I learned, glad you were able to come through. Yeah, man, I learned yeah. a lot, man. Can I come back to St. Louis and do this again? Dude, yes, absolutely. That <laughs> Dude, was fucking awesome. amazing. Yeah. I, I had a great time. And uh, guys, where could they follow you at, bro? Uh, Instagram, uh, Twitter, and now the new one, the threads. You were talking about yeah, the other yeah, day. Yeah. Because <laughs> you can't erase it from your phone. Yeah. It's stuck. <laughs> I, just, I, I, I just got it. Took the link out of my bio and let, I'm not, yeah. I just wanted my name to sit on it. It's at Damon West 7, D-A-M-O-N-W-E-S-T 7 for my social media follows. And uh, again, people find me for speaking engagements all over the world at DamonWest.org, D-A-M-O-N-W-E-S-T.org. Cool. Yeah, man. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, yeah, bro. DJ, thanks a lot, Thanks man. for everything you're doing, yeah, too, Dude, man. and your people are incredible, man. That locker that I had set up when I walked in here today. Yeah. Dude, I sent a picture up to my wife. It's like, man, look at these. They're this amazing. It's incredible. You have great people around you. you I'm very blessed to be you here. You build something great. Around brother. these people. No, dude, I'm, I'm blessed to, know to be you. around these people. They make me better. This is awesome today, guys. It's fun. It. Thank you, brother. Yeah, thanks a lot. All right, guys. Don't be a hoe. Share the show. Sleeping on the floor, now my jewelry box froze Fuck a bowl, fuck a stove, counted millions in the cold Bad bitch, booted swole, got her on bankroll Can't fold, does a no, headshot, case closed